0: It's good to, to be able to worship together. I know that we're not all together together, but when we join our voices, no matter where we are, whether we're in this room, whether we're out in a car, on, on listening on the radio, or, or even watching Facebook on your phone, or at home uh, watching the live stream that's going on, it is just, we're doing this together. So with one voice, we lift up our hearts in praise to God, and, and it is a blessing to be able to do that. Uh, I know that things have been a little bit difficult and different as we're kind of just trying to figure where things are going within our world. And lately it's been a little bit um, difficult. You're listening to the news and watching what's going on and there's, there's rioting that's taking place around our country. There's a lot of hate, a lot of anger, a lot of animosity. And what the world needs really is the peace of Christ and the love of God and that's the only thing that's going to change what's been going on. And so, uh, as we're kind of wrapping up our series this week, uh, that we've been looking at love in any language, and uh, um, we're going to bring this to a close on loving God. And, and, and actually, when we love God, the the overflow of that is that we just genuinely love other people as well. What is the most important thing in life? That is a question I think we ask ourselves all the time. It's a question that we've been asked. It's a question we've asked other people as well. Uh, some people, I want to share with you some people's responses to that question. What is the most important thing? Michael Douglas uh, was asked what was the most important thing and that he'd learned in life and, and he said this. He said, kindness is not weakness. And then he went on to say, I try to conduct myself as a good citizen of the planet and look out for those who are less fortunate. That's pretty good. Audrey Hepburn, wonderful actress, she was asked that question and she said, well, the most important thing is to enjoy your life, to be happy. It's all that matters. Well, we can't leave the Duke out, can we? So John Wayne, he waxed eloquent when he was answering this. He said, tomorrow is the most important thing in life. It comes into us at midnight very clean, it's perfect when it arrives, and it puts itself in our hands. It hopes we've learned something from yesterday. Pretty profound. Warren Buffett, who's one of the richest men in our world, he said this. He said, basically, when you get to my age, you'll really measure your success in life by how many of the people you want to have love you, actually love you. Henry David Thoreau, when he was asked, he stated it this way. He said, well, the price of anything is the amount of life that you exchange for it. Those are all wonderful examples of what is important in life. But I think we need to go into the Scripture and and see what Jesus said was probably the most important thing that we need to understand. Now, now we know that, that Sean talked earlier about, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And so we need to learn to love in any language. So let's listen to what Jesus says. In Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28, one of the teachers of the law... They came and they heard them debating, and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Well, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength the second is this love your neighbor as yourself there is no greater command than these so what does it mean to love if love is so important, and, and, and Jesus says the greatest thing that you can do is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor. If those are the greatest things that we can do in this life, what is love? I mean, I think that's the first and foremost question we need to ask ourselves. Well, in the book, Love Does, Bob Goff, the, the, the writer for it, he describes this rather audacious persistently totally in love young man named Ryan so to set the stage for you Bob has never met Ryan but one day Ryan comes bounding up his pathway between the bay and and Bob's house and Ryan begins this conversation with Bob in which he boldly asks permission to propose to his girlfriend in Bob's backyard because it was such a beautiful setting. All right. A few days later Ryan comes by again <laughs> and this time he asked if he could serve supper that night to his girlfriend on Bob's back porch. You kind of see where this is going. Well again a few days later Ryan comes by again and he asks if he could have 20 of his friends come and make dinner in Bob's kitchen and then serve him and his girlfriend and the back porch in their backyard. All right. Well a few days later Ryan comes by again and this time he asks if it will be okay if he brought some loudspeakers and some lights to decorate the backyard so that when they're done with the dinner then he and his friends and his hopeful fiance can have a dance in the backyard. Well Bob had a yacht and Ryan asked if he could use his yacht to after the dinner and the dance go out onto the bay and then he could propose to his wife to be out there on the bay. Now by this time Bob is starting to get involved in this and he's starting to think of some ideas and so he comes up with a plan all his own so he contacts a friend of his who is in the Coast Guard. And they begin to hatch their own little plan, unbeknownst to Ryan. Well, the big night comes. Dinner and dancing are over. They've motored out into the bay, and Bob is, is captaining his yacht. The stars are in beautiful view, just gloriously out there. And they finally reach the spot right where Ryan is going to pop the question. Ryan then has 50 of his friends on the shore holding candles, spelling out the words, Will you marry me? So he pops the question, and when his girlfriend says yes... Bob gives a thumbs up to his Coast Guard buddy, who then immediately shoots off all the water cannons on their ship towards Bob and his yacht, and the water begins to cascade and fall down like beautiful little kisses upon this couple as they're embracing with this glorious opportunity of a proposal. We think, wow, what a a way to do. It puts all of us to shame, doesn't it? But man, he must love her more than I loved my wife. Just for him to do that kind of proposal. It's, it's unreal. His love is, is out there. It's audacious. It's crazy. It's large and it's loud. Ryan sure went through a lot just to be able to give this proposal to the one he loved. But is that what love really is? Is it all the fanfare? Is, is it the lights and the dancing and the dinner and the yachts and the stars and the proposal? The word that is used in our text today, we find in Mark chapter 12, is a word that you've heard often, the word agape. Now we know that's love. But, but what is this word agape? I, mean, I did a little research on it, and, and, and rarely agape was used in classical Greek literature. It just isn't out there. It was really started to become uh, usable when they were translating the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek language for a modern day understanding. And so they used this word agape when they were describing the word ahavana, which meant love in the Old Testament. And so you kind of look at this word and you think it's really not a common word outside of biblical understanding. There are some pagan writings. Three times that they have found that have this word, two really just are inconsequential, but the third one they think symbolizes what it lies here. This word agape, this word love, is quite possibly what they call a compound word. It's where you you take a couple words, you put them together, and you you mix them and mingle them so they have a, a new understanding of something. So there are about five basic meanings of compounding how this came together. The first one is this. Some people view the word as a combination of the words agon and poyan, which means some intensity, is was the agon, this passionate, and, and poion, which means to act or to create or to work. And so it, it would be to us that we are, we are creating this intense, this passion, this, this thing that's going to be there. It may also be a combination of the words, again which, katapine, which means that the love is, is always active. It's, it's always doing everything it can in every possible way to demonstrate to the one whom they love in order to possess it and to enjoy it. Another way that it might come from its derivation is, is between the two words agan and panisthai. Which means to be completely at rest in that which you are intensely passionate about. And that you find satisfaction in the one that you love. It could also be from this word agon and pa'o. Where the person enthusiastically embraces and holds fast. They're not going to let go of the one that their, their, their love is for. And, and finally, there could be another that they might suppose it is a compound word of the word "Agao," which means "I admire," and the word panamai, which means "I rest." Because when a man loves somebody, when they admire them enough, they find complete rest in that person. So they're so comfortable around them that, that they just they're never on edge or any of that aspect. It's a genuine love that never changes, and, and it's, it's this constant uh, unwavering admiration for them. Now there was an ancient manuscript lexicon that was found in a, a Latin or not a Latin but a French king's library and this word agape was described in this lexicon this way. I want to read to you the definition. It, it says that agape is a pleasing surrender a friendship to a friend. It's an identity or a sameness of soul. It goes on by saying it's a sovereign preference is given to one above all others, present or absent. It's a concentration of all the thoughts and desires in a single object which a man prefers to all others. Now when you apply these definitions, we kind of get a better understanding of what it means to be in love with this agape it's this total focus and attention and admiration that you find complete rest in in this one thing and you're going to hold fast to it because you never want to lose it adam clark's commentary on matthew provides this understanding as well it says that love that it appears that by this love the soul eagerly clings to affectionately admires and constantly rests in god utterly pleased and satisfied with him as its only focus, that it acts from him as its author, for him as its master, and to him as its ultimate end, that by it all the powers and faculties of the mind are concentrated in the Lord of the universe." That by it the whole man is willingly surrendered to God, and that through it an identity or sameness of spirit with the Lord is acquired. So, if that's what love is, I want us to kind of look at how we express that according to Mark chapter 12, verse 30. So, we'll kind of break this down a little bit as we focus on this little statement. And he begins with saying that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your heart. So the individual who loves God with all their heart, they, they love nothing in comparison to who God is. There, there's nothing that can even remotely even get close to it. And everything is totally in reference to Him. The person who loves God with all their heart, they are ready to give up and do or suffer anything for Him in order to please Him and glorify God. They have their hearts, there's neither love nor hatred, hope nor fear, there's neither fondness nor aversion, desire nor delight, except in reference to God. You catch that? It's not about anything else in this world. Everything is centering its focus on God. If we love Him with all our heart, that's what we're supposed to do. Now, Gordon Matthew Thomas Summer, otherwise known as Sting, you know, I mean, he was a part of the group, the police. And back in 1982, he wrote a song where he was trying to capture this idea of what love in its ultimate expression might be. So he wrote a song called Every Breath You Take. Now in this song, he's trying to capture the essence of, of loving with all your heart. However, his affections that he's expressing, it was for his wife, or I guess ex-wife, Francis Tomlety, because of their separation, because he'd had an adulterous relationship with her best friend, Trudy Styler. So he writes this song and hopes to get her back, expressing his real deep down love in the fullest understanding of it. So he says, every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. It goes on by saying, every single day and every word you say, every game you play, every night you stay, I'll be watching you. And then ultimately, oh, can't you see? You belong to me. How my poor heart aches with every step you take. Every move you make, every vow you break, every smile you fake, every claim you stake, I'll be watching you. Now, I think he gets some kind of an expression of what love is at that point. But if we want to know what love is like and how somebody expresses it, let's turn to the book of Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. And we see how God demonstrates His love for us. In an ultimate way that He demonstrates His love for us. It says for us here in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us that is a love with all his heart and not only are we expected to love God with all your heart but you're also supposed to love him with all your soul now the individual who loves God with all their all their soul or rather with the word of psuche, it, it means breath of life it's it's everything that you are that you live and so we're supposed to love god with all of our soul with every breath of life that we have within us that person is ready to give up their life for the sake of christ to endure all kinds of sufferings and hardships and struggles and, de- and deprive themselves of all comforts and satisfactions rather than do anything that's going to dishonor god So if I'm going to love Him with all my soul, I'm going to utilize my life with everything that we have. All of its conveniences, all of its comforts, everything to glorify God in, by, and through all that I am. To this type of individual, life and death really are nothing. I mean, they, they, they come from, from, from God. He's the one who gives us life, and we're going to die into him, and that's all that matters to us. And so from this type of love pours forth the blood of martyrs because they rest assured in the blood of Christ that it doesn't matter whether they live or they die. They are going to be glorified in the way that they live for Christ. They overcome this through the blood of the Lamb and love not their own lives, even unto death. In the Old Testament there's a story of three fellows Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You've all heard the story and and, and they've they've decided that they are not going to demonstrate their their love or their adoration or their worship for any other God but God Almighty. There's a problem that arises. King Nebuchadnezzar has created and built a 90-foot tall statue of gold of him and that everybody is supposed to bow down and worship this statue every day and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they're, they're not doing it so somebody tattles on them and now they're standing before King Nebuchadnezzar and they're going to express how they love God with all their heart and with all their soul and in Daniel chapter 3 beginning in verse 16 The story tells us this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But here's what gets interesting. But even if he does not, We want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now that is loving with all your soul. So not only am I expected to love God with all my heart and with all my soul, But Jesus said, you are to love the Lord your God with all your strength as well. I mean, the individual who loves God with all of his strength, with everything that he's got, with every bit of energy that he has, he exerts all the powers of his body and his soul in the service of God for the glory of his Maker. They spare neither physical labor nor anything that might cost them. They sacrifice their time, their body, their health, their wealth, everything to give God the glory. They're willing to throw away all their worldly goods, all their talents, all their gifts, all their powers, all their credit, all their authority and their influence just to love and worship Him. The Apostle Paul demonstrates this kind of love when he re- makes mention of it in Philippians, the third chapter. Beginning in verse 7 and, and, and 8, he says, Whatever were to gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. You see, all of our strength means everything that we can physically do, everything that we can create and craft in our talents and our, our abilities. It's all going to be surrendered to Him. And it matters not what else is out there in this world because we love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. But we're all supposed to go beyond that. And you are to love Him with all your mind the individual who loves God with all their mind, they apply themselves only to knowing God and and how His holy will is is infused in everything that they're going to do in life. It's not concerned about what they can learn within this world, but utilizing what they learn in this world to know more about God and how He fits into everything. You see, this person receives with submission and gratitude, and pleasure. All the sacred truths about God that are even hidden in creation. And that it reveals to them. And it is then engraved upon not only their hearts, but upon their minds, so that the Word of God is infused in even the manner in which they think. This type of person, they're not going to study anything in this world, whether art, or science, or music. It, It doesn't matter what it is, without looking for God within it and they're going to give Him glory. They're not going to create any projects or designs except those things that are going to be in reference to how wonderful God is. They're going to discard from their understanding every memory that that is foolish and useless and dangerous in thought, and take captive their thoughts to be only thinking about Christ and about His goodness. But a friend, Paul, when he's trying to help us understand this aspect of loving God with all of our mind, he writes to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 in which he says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ you see if you're going to love God the greatest thing that you can do in this world, Jesus says, is love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. We have to see God in all things and think of Him at all times and having our minds continually fixed upon Him and acknowledging Him in everything that we do from the beginning, continuing on in life until the very end of life. All of our thoughts, our words, our actions are to bring glory to His name and to who He is. That person is one who loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. He is crucified to the world, and He is no longer living for Himself. But as Paul says, it is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. Daily we are being crafted and created by the Spirit of God to become more and more and more like Jesus. No longer displaying who we are, but who He is. We no longer look in the mirror and see me, but we see him in us. Sometimes it's easy for people to see us and they see what Christ is doing in our lives. But when you look in the mirror, do you see what he's doing in yours? How he is changing you and he's remolding you and fashioning you to be more and more like him. We are simply and constantly looking unto Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we receive continual supplies of enlightenment and sanctifying grace and mercy and His love that fits us for every good word and every good work that we'll ever have to do. You see, God's purpose, however, has never wavered. The great intention continues to be that He shall love His creation, His fellow man that He has made. So much so that, as we said earlier in Romans, that He would leave this world and He would send His Son into this world to be like us, to be like you and like me, so that He could redeem us and demonstrate His love in this way. You see, the love of God is far greater thing than even faith and hope as Sean shared with us. Those three great virtues of life, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest one is love. And Jesus says, if you're going to do that, if you're going to love me, he says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you keep my commands. And that's not true about all faith. See, because there are a lot of people who believe in God. There are a lot of people who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but faith in Him that He will do as He says He will do does not equate love. It doesn't mean that we're to be obedient. But somebody who loves God, they cannot help but be obedient to Him because they're throwing their whole heart and their whole life and their whole everything about them, their strength, it's all His. Paul makes this great declaration. He says, not only is love the greatest of these things, but in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And it's that bedrock, that foundation of Jesus' declaration that the first and the greatest commandment is to love God. Everything else flows from that. And the second, he says, is just like it, that you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. Matter of fact, listen to this. This comes out of James Nesbitt's commentary on Mark, and it has this understanding about love. He says, musicians tell us that when one chord is struck, other kindred notes immediately wake up from it, it, it aroused by it so that those who have been keen and true and sensitive ear, they can immediately hear the kindred notes following from that which has first been struck. And so it seems to be with this note that is struck by the voice of God in the hearts of his saints of love. The first great commandment of the love of God wakes, as it were, a second and a kindred note. and Our Lord goes on immediately to speak of that second, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, those who truly, purely, clearly hear that first note of the divine bidding cannot fail to hear immediately, waking, as it were, out of the heart of the first sound, the second. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So how is it that we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and our strength? It's evidenced in how you love those around you. We can profess and say that we love God, but if it's not demonstrated in how we treat people, then we don't love God. We're living in a world that is struggling right now, struggling because they, they need to understand what love is, and all they know right now is what hate is. All they purely understand is what separation is and what differences are and what animosity is. And they can't can't grasp that. And so they're struggling and they're fighting for this unity. They want to be loved and they want to love, but they don't know how to do it. And it's in Jesus and in Him alone that we find what love truly is. And the greatest thing that you can do is that you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And that you're demonstrating that by loving those around you. Loving your neighbor as yourself. We're going to wrap up here. I'm sure that there are people who, who, they need to get their life right with Christ. They need to understand that they've been loving Him in all the wrong ways. And maybe they need a fresh start. And I challenge you. I don't care whether you're at home or outside in your car or even in here this room. If you need to make a difference and you make a change in your life for Christ, for the good, do not let today go by without making that opportunity available. Maybe you need to die to yourself so that He can live in you. You need to be buried in baptism. Bury that old life and let that old person die and then you're being created into somebody new that is holy and righteous and pure. But don't stop until you do it. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we know that Your love for us has been evidenced greatly in how You sent Your Son into this world that he loved us by becoming just like us and living within the, the, the horrible societies in which we live, the struggles that we face, the hardships, and the sin that is lurking right around the corner to catch us. And it was right there for him, tempting him in the wilderness, tempting him with power, tempting him with whatever it would be for him. And yet he was able to say no because his focus and his love was on the cross for us. Father, thank you. Help us to love with this agape love. And Father, that it will be demonstrated not only in our words, but in our actions by demonstrating to you that we love others just as well. Father, would you challenge us? Would you hold us accountable to the commandment that we've been given here today? That we would love you with all that we are and those around us as well.